Welcome to the Ortho Eval Pal podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now, for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 224 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about spondylolysis and spondylolisthesis. We'll be going over some of the causes. We're going to discuss the evaluation of these patients and talk about some treatment. We'll look at the clinical presentation of these folks, discuss diagnostic imaging, and talk about conservative versus surgical treatment. But if you wouldn't mind holding for a moment, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors. At MedCore Professionals, we offer mobility aids, bracing and supports, compression garments, post-mastectomy care, and much more. Your health and well-being are important to us. Your recovery is our priority. Our certified team will guide you to the right products based on your medical needs, recent procedures, or mobility restrictions. Visit us on Route 1 in Scarborough or at MedCorePro.com. We are Mark and Kelly Hassett, owners of MedCore. And we keep you moving forward. This episode is sponsored by MedBridge. Harnessing the power of technology to help you advance your career and improve patient outcomes, MedBridge delivers over 2,000 evidence-based CE courses and more than 7,000 specialized patient exercises available whenever you need them from wherever you are. MedBridge goes beyond CEUs. They're leading the space. From interactive webinars led by top industry leaders to the first ever HEP patient mobile app, MedBridge has taken learning to the next level for over 200,000 PTs, OTs, ATs, SLPs, and nurses, and those they serve. For a limited time, use promo code OEP to receive $175 off your annual subscription. Hello and welcome back, folks, from a balmy minus 36 degrees in northern Maine. It's uh, been absolutely frigid recently, and uh, we had a nice little snowstorm of about a foot, foot and a half last night. So I just got in from doing a lot of shoveling and freezing myself, and uh, I'll tell you what, it's no fun. But we have a a little trip coming up to Florida soon, so I'm kind of looking forward to that, and uh, hopefully going to get some nice weather and uh, and absorb a little sun while we're down there. So... uh, um, let's talk a little bit today about spondylolysis and spondylolisthesis. And I was just recently uh, talking to one of the folks who I was coaching with. We were talking about flexion versus extension biased programs. And this kind of came to mind. And I thought, you know what, it'd be a great idea to just break these down a little bit so that we can become a little more aware that this diagnosis actually does happen in, in a lot of folks and uh, how we can kind of identify it clinically and where we go with it once we do identify it. So let's start off with a little bit of anatomy first, okay? So again, you know, on a podcast, it's hard because you don't see a picture and and you're not, uh, you know, looking at it, but I want you to envision this in your head, okay? So we're going to be talking about the lumbar spine and anteriorly we have the body of that vertebrae and then posteriorly we have the spinous process and in between we have this pars interarticularis okay so envision this you have a a stream and uh, you have land on both sides of the stream and you take a board and you put it across the stream and you walk over that board okay well that board is that pars interarticularis basically um, land on both sides supporting structures on both sides and a bridge in between okay and that's what that pars interarticularis is also envision the back side of the vertebrae. You have the superior articular pro- spinous process, and then you have that 
inferior articular process. So one is supporting the vertebrae below, one is supporting the vertebrae above. And that pars sits between the two of those, so interarticularis is between the two articulating joints. Okay, and so that is going to be the area that we're going to be focusing on today. So when we talk about spondylolysis, this is something that we see more in the younger population of people. We'll see it in gymnasts, football players, anybody who may take a blow maybe into extension or hyperextension of the back or do a lot of repetitive hyperextension. You know, uh, tennis players who extend really hard before they um, before they uh, hit the ball. And uh, so they can have this trauma over time to this pars interarticularis and what happens is you can end up stress fracturing that pars okay so it can start to fracture a little bit you can have a stress reaction that you know periosteal area can become inflamed and irritated and cause a lot of discomfort now we can see this also in some people who take trauma to the low back um and uh, but oftentimes will happen in the younger population or doing a lot of extension and rotation type activities so how does that differ from spondylolisthesis? Well, listhesis means sliding down or a slippage, okay? So the listhesis will happen when that pars fracture separates and then you have a disconnect from the vertebra above to the vertebra below and one will slip over the other, usually developing an anterolisthesis, okay, so an anterior slipping of the superior vertebrae over the inferior vertebrae, and uh, one will slip over the other. Now, we need to think about what happens when that slippage happens, okay? Um, so your central spinal canal is now going to be slipping over itself, okay, causing a little guillotining to the uh, spinal cord, and then you're also going to affect the uh, some spinal stenosis on both sides where the nerve roots come out, okay, at the vertebral foramen, and those can get a little bit smaller and cause some nerve root irritation also. So most oftentimes what will happen is in um, those who develop a spondylolisthesis will start to develop this localized back pain. And generally a lot of stiffness, they'll develop a lot of spasm, okay, because your low back is trying to protect that listhesis and, and that, um, that inflammation, that inflamed area. And so you can even uh, develop bilateral discomfort. This is more common in these types of situations and some localized buttock pain. You'll also notice that these folks will get worse if they extend the lumbar spine and get a little bit of relief when they flex. Now, if somebody develops a complete listhesis, they will generally develop more hamstring tightness. They may have some difficulty walking and standing in one position for a long period of time and have the common neurogenic claudication type problems. Now, we don't just see this in young people, but we do see this, and I see this, much more in the uh, older patient. Uh, somebody who has developed some listhesis over time in that anterior slippage, or maybe they've had a fusion at one point, maybe an L4, L5 fusion, and because those segments are locked up, we have an adjacent level instability that happens and that level above will now start to slip forward and cause some problems and um, so I generally see this in an older population of people 
people who have an accentuated lumbar lordosis, uh, tight hip flexors, and uh, maybe uh, they have some weakness in their abdominals, and that kind of predisposes them to having this over time. And uh, this can be quite debilitating for some folks. So as far as identifying it in the clinic, lots of localized back pain, sometimes down into the buttocks, occasionally down into the hamstring area. It's usually bilateral, worse with extension. So I want you to remember that because if these people present like this, we don't want to put them into a McKenzie extension type exercise program, right? Because that will certainly cause more slippage, more pain, and irritate that pars even more. So we want to really work on, you know, decreasing that pain. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. First, I want to discuss though imaging. Now, I am not a physician and you know, I've been really blessed to have some, uh, a great group of neurosurgeons who I can communicate with uh, quite easily and they've really taught me a lot. And one of the things they taught me about a listhesis type of problem is that oftentimes the x-ray images are not appropriate. Maybe they lay on a table with their knees bent um, and uh, they're not really loading that spine or putting stress on it to see if there is a slippage or a change in one vertebrae over the other. So one of the things that we like to see and do is to have patients have standing weight-bearing x-rays with a lateral view while they are flexing forward and extending. Okay, and as they extend, if uh, there is increased slippage, that will really get recognized in this type of x-ray. The other type of x-ray that can be helpful is what you call a supine cross table x-ray. And why this one? Um, if you're laying flat on your back, people who typically have lumbar spinal stenosis or a listhesis will have much more discomfort when their legs are in full extension and the knees are down touching the table than when their knees are bent. The reason for that is that the hip flexors become tight, they anteriorly rotate the pelvis, causing an extension of the lumbar spine and basically a slippage, okay? So if that x-ray is being taken from the side, you can also see that slippage if they are laying flat on their backs with nothing under the knees. It can be uncomfortable while it's being taken, but if they can stand it, um, it's a good x-ray to, to have done. So these can be very helpful in regards to identifying how much slippage there is and um, for physicians to be able to grade that and that's important that uh, that be identified because grade one grade twos we can treat conservatively usually with a little bit of rest we work on decreasing their pain decreasing spasms sometimes that that can be done with medication some anti-inflammatories uh, i like to use modalities such as interferential current and moist heat and i like to place them in a flex position maybe with a couple pillows under their belly if they're laying on their stomach so that they don't go into extension and they are in a nice neutral position I then will start to focus on, you know, lumbar neutral activities. So things that don't cause a lot of extension to the lumbar spine. I like to work on the abdominals, okay? The abdominals help to bring the lumbar spine into relative flexion. And I also like to work on the glute muscles because that extends the lumbar spine by grabbing a hold of the pelvis and posteriorly rotating it. And while we keep people in a pelvic neutral position, I like to work on transverse abdominus activation. 
I also like to get those hip flexors stretched out. But the problem with stretching the hip flexors with a lot of people is that they go into hyperextension or accentuated lumbar lordosis. So it's important that if you have people stretch their hip flexors, you also have them work on their abdominals at the same time to keep themselves in a nice neutral pelvic position. Okay, um, that is very, very important. Now, I like to do cardiovascular conditioning. This is one of those examples of where I don't mind using a recumbent stationary bike because it flexes that lumbar spine a little bit when they're on it. They typically are not the types of folks who have a lot of radiculopathy down the leg. So I will use a recumbent bike in a situation like this as long as they don't have any knee or hip problems. Um, other than that, uh, lots of core stabilization, lots of proprioception, as long as the patient can tolerate it. And I really try to avoid any type of hyperextension type activities. Um, now, if there is a severe amount of slippage, then these folks may not do well with uh, physical therapy. They're probably going to need a neurosurgical consult to uh, possibly surgically stabilize that area, have a fusion, and uh, really just kind of tighten everything up um, so that they don't have this excessive mobility, which could lead to some long-term um, spinal cord damage and nerve root uh, conditions that uh, may not be reversible. So... I know I threw a lot out at you folks today. Um, thank you so much for listening. I know it was kind of difficult to uh, throw out spondylolysis and listhesis in the same sentence uh, as often as I did today. So uh, sorry if I got my uh, words mixed a little bit. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, I do have a website. Make sure that you check that out and uh, where you can have access to webinars, online coaching, and an area where you can contact me if you have questions or you'd like me to put something up on our uh, podcast. Uh, you know, Shoot that over to me. I'd be more than happy to try to answer your questions. And uh, be sure to check out our YouTube channel. We have content coming up there all the time, oftentimes with patients who actually have injuries that uh, you can actually see. And some of you didn't know this, but if you uh, get onto YouTube and you have a particular orthopedic uh, you know, condition you want to look at, uh, just put in Paul Marquis and that orthopedic condition and it'll probably pop up. Um, another thing we're going to be doing is in April of 2022, we're going to be heading down to Virginia to give a blood flow restriction course with uh, Dr. Susie Lachowski. If you ever want a course in your hometown, be sure to connect with me and uh, we'll see what we can do about, you know, getting a group of folks together and uh, doing some certifications for you. And uh, we even do orthopedic courses in regards to the knee, shoulder, uh, ankle, foot, and other uh, orthopedic conditions. So be sure to get in touch with us if you have questions about that. Uh, but till next time, folks, I hope you take care and um, be good to others. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.